What's going on, everyone? Back again. My guest today, uh, most commonly seen on television during Canucks intermissions, breaking down the team, as well as a co-host of the Canucks Central on Sportsnet 650. Welcome to this to the show, uh, Santiar Shah. How's it going, man? I'm doing well, Ryan. Uh, how about yourself? Everything in order in the new year? You know, the first couple of weeks of 2023, it's yeah. I've already broken my resolutions. So, oh. uh, you know, maybe next year, maybe so next year I'll get in shape, you know? So you're just like everybody else. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Blue Monday, it comes like the next day. Yeah, it comes quick. Um, yeah, exactly. Well, uh, I, I want to get this out of the way. I usually take some listener uh, questions. Uh, my dad actually had a burning question for you. It's not related to hockey at all. Uh, he's just dying to know where do you get your hair and your beard groomed? Uh, okay, so the beard, I just do myself. Uh, I just take care of myself. But uh, my hair, I go to a hairdresser. Um, her name is Mi Sun Moon. And I've actually been seeing her for 12 months. I mean, sorry, 12 years. It's the same hairdresser I've had for 12 years. So she's moved around from different spots. So everywhere she goes, as long as she's in Vancouver, I'll find a way to go to her and get my hair cut. So yeah, I, I'm pretty loyal to her. So yeah, I see her all the time. But the facial stuff, I'll take credit myself. I, I take care of it. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. And uh, to my dad, I've killed any credibility I might have had in this interview. Thanks for that. No, that um, awesome. <laughs> my, my dad, not a facial hair guy either. I was like, is that, you know, like, what are you going to grow a beard now just to style it? I don't get that. Um, but with that out of the way, we can get down to business. Um, and I, I know I've got just uh, a few minutes with you. We'll kind of rapid fire this, but this year has not been kind to the Vancouver Canucks. Um, let's start with the captain, mm-hmm. Bo Horvat. Uh, contract year, he decides he's going to be a top five goal scorer uh, this season. Yeah. Um, is it kind of looking as we get closer to the deadline? It seems like the talks have stalled. Is this probably the last season we'll see Bo uh, in Vancouver? It certainly seems that way, you know, like it's, you know, I mentioned today on the show that it, if I had to guess, I put it at 60, 40 that he's gone. And even saying 40% is a lot higher for him staying than most would say at this stage. And I actually had a back and forth with somebody uh, who knows these things quite well and said, you're being a bit optimistic on Bo being, being 40% likely to come back. It's probably not as likely, but I kind of go back to what I felt about the JT thing last year, which was. I thought it was a coin flip he comes back. From everything I got was like, it's not determined he is going to get traded. I feel like the the team wants to keep him. And despite everything going on, I think there's a chance he comes back. But the overall sentiment was, he's not coming back. He's going to get traded. So I'll stick with the same sense I have with Bo on this. But it does certainly seem like right now, even compared to last year with JT, that the pathway to a deal is a lot harder to see. You know, And the fact that he's having this incredible season just adds to it as well. And I know iMac mentioned this, and I know it's been mentioned before. How much did it bother Bo that he wasn't taken care of first? And now that he's gone this far and has had this much success, is he willing to really hold out for top dollar? And is the idea of taking slightly less to stay in Vancouver out of the equation? Because if it is, I don't see it happening, Ryan. But if if he's willing to, say, take the JT Miller contract, but have it over eight years, so $7 million per season over eight, now I don't know if Vancouver goes that far. But I do wonder if Vancouver goes to that level, does he say no to that? And as long as that remains a possibility, I think there's a chance he does come back. Because I think as much as it's probably more than Vancouver wanted to pay, it could work if they're able to move other money this offseason in terms of their thinking and how they feel like Bo can fit in here. So I still think there's a chance he comes back, but it looks far less likely than it looked like with JT, which is quite surprising. Yeah, I mean, considering Bo is like, you know, he's he's on pace for mid forties and goals yeah. as well, which uh, which would be a career year for him. I, and you mentioned the money thing, and I was kind of looking at 
cap friendly. And I see names like Garland, Poolman, Stillman, Pearson, mm-hmm. um, and maybe even guys that have modified no trades, Tyler Myers, yeah. Oliver Ekman Larson. I mean, is there a chance that a playoff contending team says, you know what, we, you know, we like a guy like Myers. And I, you know, I know I listened to Canuck Central actually uh, today when you guys broke down the, uh, the game yesterday. Uh, I think the stat was zero, zero block shots, three turnovers uh, <laughs> for Tyler Myers. Not, not exactly trade bait, but yeah. I'm looking at some of these contracts and I'm, I'm wondering, is there a chance that the Canucks just try to offload as much as they can so that they can afford to keep Bo Horvat? If his agent says we want eight to nine million, uh, which seems to be kind of the number he's throwing around, that seems to be the number, and we'll see if Vancouver would be willing to do that, even if they had the cap space. But to your point, they need to clear out more money, especially if they want to hold on to you know Horvat and you know Kuzmenko is a different discussion, which which I'm sure will be mentioned as, as time goes on here. But on, on the bull Horvat front, just in and of itself. There is a possibility here that a team would like a Tyler Myers. Again, like I, I do think it makes sense because as much as he struggled in Vancouver in the playoffs, yeah. he has certain traits that do work. And we saw it here in Vancouver that year in the bubble season. He essentially, when he went up against Alex Tuck, eliminated Alex Tuck in the postseason. And not in terms of just being physical, but just with how he was able to defend him, keep, keep him to the outside. And we know how the playoffs change and how teams defend. So I do think there are organizations who view Tyler Myers as somebody who could help them in the postseason. What always is complicated with Myers is his contract. It's $6 million per season this year and obviously next season. I do think when you get into the offseason, maybe it's more likely. But every team that's talked to Vancouver about Myers has essentially said you need to retain half the salary. And I think Vancouver would be willing to do that, maybe, if they get something tangible in return. Because once you get to this offseason, Tyler Myers has a $5 million signing bonus in the last year of his contract. And if that gets paid out in the summer... His only his actual money commitment is only one million. So if you retain salary next year, you're only a team taking him on at half the salary for three million on the cap is only paying him five hundred thousand. So that all of a sudden Tyler Myers could become a pretty decent um, asset that you can trade. Maybe somebody gives you a second round pick because here's a guy who can play in your top four, making three million plus. You're really paying nothing on the books essentially to have yeah. this guy pay, play on your team. The league minimum salary is 700,000. You might be paying this guy 500,000. So with that possibility of booming this summer or heading into next season, that's where it, there's a high point in Tyler Myers's value if you're looking to trade him. Does the team give you that similar value to make the trade today? And I think if that happened, I think they would make the trade. But with that being the more likely time frame, I would guess we it's more likely we see Myers traded in the summer, but to your point, I think they have to have a good sense of that being possible for them to be able to make the type of commitment you need to make to keep Bo Horvat. But I, I think you're bang on in terms of all the defensemen the Canucks have to have term on their contract because OEL's contract's <laughs> not getting traded. And we all know Tucker Pullman's situation is still you know, completely up in the air with his concussion or his uh, the issues he's having, which could be related to concussion issues. I think we got to be careful, but clearly there are yeah. issues that he's he is dealing with here. That's the one that you can trade. The question just comes down is it a trade you make now or is it a trade that's just more palatable come the off season? I appreciate you clearing up uh, Poolman as well. Cause I know every NHL team listens to this. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they, they uh, I wanted to ask you about JT. Cause I mean, I don't mind the guy. I think he's a, he's a fine yeah. player. 99 points last year. He's, he's just a shade below point per game this year. Um, a lot's been made of 
the the attitude and and I you know I played growing up I'm sure you've had mm. plenty of experience as well in sports where you have that guy that you know you kind of need a guy like that um, I think of Jerome Ginla being you know this intense fiery competitor the only question I guess I really have about Miller is 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 it kind of bordering on almost like toxicity now where mm-hmm. you know he's he's slamming the stick on on Colin Delia's net um some of the media stuff through the quotes he's had, I'm kind of going, well, you know, I, maybe he's unused to playing in a hockey mad yeah. market, you know, at least when New York, he had the Yankees, he had the, uh, the, uh, the Knicks. And then Tampa of course was, uh, the Tom Brady mm-hmm. show, um, down there. So I don't know if he's just not used to this, but what are your thoughts on JT? And, uh, and, you know, is there a chance that we even see him moved? I guess there is always a possibility that, that they could trade him. And there's a reason they did not include, uh, well, the no trade clause kicks in next season. And JT Miller asked, or his agent asked, if they could retroactively add it to this contract this season. And the Canucks said no. So they didn't do it. Number one, I think, why do something you don't need to do in, in this type of situation? Yeah. It's, it's a precedent-setting thing that you shouldn't be doing necessarily. But it leaves the door open, to your point. And with that being the case, I think it's a possibility, maybe more likely, again, to be boring in the offseason as opposed to the trade deadline when there is you know, more cap space available and those types of big moves are more likely. So I'd say if a JT Miller trade happens, which is unlikely, it would be maybe around the draft before next season's no trade clause kicks in on July 1st. So that would be kind of the time frame for it. But as far as the toxicity, which I think is the overarching thing a lot of people are wondering, it's like it's one thing to be that way, but what is that doing to the room? What is that doing to the organization, how do your fellow teammates feel about you? And as strange as this may sound, I don't think it has a negative impact necessarily in terms of being toxic because everything I know about JT Miller, as far as from my perch and from what I can gather talking to guys and being around every once in a while, is that he's a very popular player in the room. Like there's a difference between maybe setting a bad example and leadership being maybe not as strong as it needs to be and being toxic to the point where people dislike you. And it's a problem in that sense. Everything I gather, there isn't a toxicity necessarily. Now, sometimes there is some toxicity in terms of how they approach things with the media at times. And I think when we see that, it can, it can seem like, okay, this room's really messed up. But to themselves, they are kind of close. I think the bigger issue is why isn't there enough accountability? You know, like JT is the guy everybody loves. Yeah. Is anybody checking him? You know, I think that's the issue. It's not that it's toxic. It's more about, is it a functional, is there functional accountability going on in that room? You know, like, is there somebody there that can tell JT, buddy, you know, like you can't be doing this stuff and it can't be Luke Shen. You know, it can't be a guy making 800,000. Yeah. And God bless Luke Shen. He's, he's, he's incredibly tough. He's a great leader. But in, in the world that we don't understand living on the outside, money matters to these guys. And and your position matters, your leadership role, and your A on your jersey, to see, those things really carry weight. So when a guy's looking at a $56 million contract kicking in next season, the type of a guy who's going to be able to resonate with him is going to have to be a leader and a player who's going to – who has a similar standing, you know, who's going to be here long-term yeah. potentially or is a captain or is a player of that type of ilk. And I'm not sure that type of accountability has been going on, you know, and – and people talk about it being a country club, and I think that's unfair. These guys are professionals. They work hard, and despite what we say in terms of their underachievement, they're playing at a high level. You know, They're just not doing it as well as we yeah. want, and I do question their dedication at times to being a great hockey team. I don't question their dedication as professionals. I do question how willing are you to win at all costs. You know, like What is your true desire to be a great team? Are you just content being a team that's competitive? You know, And I think 
generally what it seems like with this team, they've been content being what they are, you know, and, and I think that's a bigger issue. And my criticism of JT would be that he hasn't been able to foster an environment where the accountability goes from him all the way down. And I think that would be his biggest failing in terms of how he's presenting himself on the ice and perhaps how, how he's um, presenting himself to the media. And in general, the overall issue with the team, because he's still a very talented hockey player because Take everything right. away. I mean, he still has, what, 35 points on the season. He's playing poorly, and he's still yeah. on pace for a 70-point season and 30 goals. I mean, it just kind of shows you how talented he is and how good he is that maybe during the time he's playing the worst hockey we've seen and with the worst body language and behavior, he's still playing at a first-round production rate in the National Hockey League. And, and that's why he is such a polarizing player at the same time. Well, and, and I heard this on your podcast yesterday too. Somebody pointed out, I think it was you actually that pointed out, he's 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 still a five point seven five million dollar player this year. He's he's mm-hmm. performing up to that. Uh, next year, I think if he puts up a hundred points, I, I I don't really I don't really care what he does. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you have a guy making that kind of money, hundred points, that's that's what he's paid to do. Um, you brought up Kuzmenko, and I just a quick question on him. And, and Elias Pettersson's agent uh, a while back said. PD wants to be here. He he wants to stay. Yeah. He's he's been very vocal about staying. And watching Pedersen and Kuzmenko together, there's a definite chemistry oh, yeah. here. Um, you think that that you know, as much as the Canucks are sort of, as he said, a little content with what they are right now, um, and Kuzmenko being he's not some 19 year old coming mm-hmm. in. He's 26, 27 years old. Do you think that Pedersen's desire to stay will will maybe you know that that kind of leads into Kuzmenko going? You know what? I like playing here. I like playing with this guy. Maybe we work something out. I, I certainly think that the Kuzmenko Patterson success story not only has been obviously great on the ice, but I do think off the ice, those guys have a, a pretty good friendship and they're developing stuff that, that is tangible on the ice. And I think it's something that the organization does value and see. And to your point, Patterson has said that he wants to be on a winner, right? And at the same time, this is an organization that needs to make some tough decisions and not necessarily rebuild, but they have to retool to some degree. They have to make some trades. They have to clear some cap space out and and do certain things. So how can they do that and trade Kuzmenko and then keep Pedersen happy? And I don't think they can. So I do think, to your point, you have to make a bow trade, probably. You have to clear money out elsewhere and do certain things and, and take a bit of a step back, take two steps forward. But I do believe keeping Kuzmenko is a big part of the equation to be successful in a couple of year, years with him being part of that. And also to, an extension to, to your point, getting Elias Pettersson locked up. Because you bring Kuzmenko back, Pettersson knows, okay, he's a guy I'm with. And the organization makes the right moves this offseason or at least shows that they have a real tangible for success in a couple of years, then I think your argument to re-sign Pedersen becomes a lot better. And I think at the end of the day, I don't know if Pedersen says no if you offer him the type of money he's looking for, because nowadays, what, what are we talking about here? We're talking about guys making 80, 90, 100 million. That's what we're talking about. And as much as Matthew Kachuk forces his way out of, as, out of Florida, and that can happen, the Canucks have one more year of Pedersen, plus they have another year of control after that, on, you know, for an RFA year. So you have two more years with Pedersen. That's why this offseason, you've got to figure out where you stand with them and how you do things. And you have to make the type of offer. And even if he's somewhat unsold on the future of the team, is he in a position to say no to, say, $96 million? You know, yeah. when he has one more year yeah. to go. And, and I think ultimately that's what Vancouver would be banking on. And that's why they had, they, they're making it a huge priority to get Pedersen signed this offseason. And as you said, you get Kuzmenko signed, you make one big money offer this summer where you can make it. Uh, offer him that extension a year ahead of time, 
that's when it's difficult for a player to say no, as we saw with JT Miller. He had a year left on his contract. The Canucks made him a huge offer. And maybe you could have got a slightly more. Maybe it wasn't exactly where he wanted to be. But how do you say no to $56 million guaranteed when you're a year away from free agency? And I think that's a similar game plan here, potentially, with Elias Pettersson. Well, you know what would change uh, the course of the franchise is uh, some local kid, Connor Bedard. <laughs> um, nah, I'm just kidding. We we know that the uh, the the Canucks aren't going to win the lotto. Oh, who knows? But, uh, hey, I was maybe ask we need you. to change our attitude and believe it can happen, right? And maybe we have we have, we have to will it into existence. <laughs> well, I'm trying to do the reverse psychology thing. Like it's always every year. Oh, we're going to win. We're going to yeah. win, and then that it just doesn't happen. So I'm kind of going a different route with this. But, uh, you know, you cover the team. Obviously, I live in, uh, in the Vancouver area, and I'm, I was trying to think of this. I want your opinion on it. Um, what would be the worst nightmare for Canuck fans is if Bedard goes to Pacific Division rival like Anaheim, where they, they got to play him, you know, potentially five, six days or six times a year, or if he goes to Chicago, who's also doing a masterful yeah. job on uh, tanking to the bottom of the league. As much as Chicago is a rival with Vancouver, it's it's kind of been it's been over a decade now since they face each other in the postseason. Yeah. So so maybe it's you know for us who remember it so vividly, right, Ryan? Like it's it's like the Hawks are still like the bane of everybody's existence. But I think this shift overall. <laughs> but I would hate to see him in Anaheim. Honestly, like seeing him seeing him him in division. I think that'd be a nightmare. Yeah. Like I'd rather just see him in Chicago once a year. He comes to town once a year or whatever it is. And you deal with that or maybe face him in the postseason as opposed to having to play through him. In the, like, imagine having to go through Connor McDavid and Connor Bedard if Connor Bedard is the next great one <laughs> in the same, like, you know, try, try to get through yeah. that, con- try, try to get through that division to the conference finals. Yeah, that's true. And I mean, uh, yeah, I, the other team near the bottom is Columbus and I kind of forgot about them, but I just, something tells me he's not going to Columbus. I don't as much as the conspiracy theories of the NHL rigging things, I just can't see them going, you know what, we'll give him to Columbus. Uh, I feel like that would not do anything for anybody. It was bad enough they let um, Connor get to Edmonton. I don't think they can let <laughs> like Connor Bedard get I to know, uh, I know, Columbus. that's what yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, at least Edmonton's a hockey market to an extent. But uh, I interviewed a guy recently who said he lived in Columbus. He goes, the college football there is bigger than the Blue oh, Jackets, yeah. even when they were a playoff team. So Ohio State, um, yeah. I wanted to ask you to – yeah, exactly. I wanted to ask you, though, just um, something, let's say in an alternate universe, you become general manager of the Vancouver Canucks. How do you prioritize, you know, the, the retool that you mentioned? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, what, what do you kind of focus on? Is it blowing up the contracts, the bad contracts, clearing those out? Or is it trying to develop a better farm team? Or is it, I mean, there's there's a few options, yeah. I guess. But uh, I'm curious what your thoughts well, are. There. Honestly, I do think for all the talk about Canucks management and everything they've done wrong, I do believe what they're doing behind the scenes is what I would start off with because it's so easy to look at the roster. What do you have to change? But if if you're tr- trying to build something, you have to start with the foundation of what you're building on. You know, like, and I think ultimately that's what's going to have to really change to be enhanced long term for this team to be able to take that step. And I think they're they're doing a lot in terms of player development with the player people they've hired around that, but also what they're building through the Abbotsford Canucks and the type of resources they're providing them and how they want the team to play and how they want players to be in the type of environment they have. And even already with the prospects they have playing there for, you know, for for all the talk about the Canucks having a thin prospect system, and they do, they absolutely do. But right now with them sending Hoaglander down, with them sending Putkolzin down and you having, um, you know, Jack Rathbone there, now you have Niels Oman there. So that's four guys who are NHL caliber or at least fringe NHL guys who, 
their, their party organization, Linus Carlson's there too. And so you have five or six players there that are tangible, Arthur Silov's and net that you're building something with. And I think that's a foundation where you really, really have to strengthen first. And I do believe they're doing a good job with that. And that's probably the first thing that I would do is really get to who are the people that are developing our, our guys, who are our scouts, what are we doing on the pro and amateur side, and what are we doing to provide every resource possible to get the most out of our prospects and our players at the minor league level and our players at the National Hockey League level. And I do think this organization is doing a lot of those things. It doesn't get a lot of press. It doesn't get talked about a lot because the big questions everybody have and what's pressing is, Who's winning? Who's losing? How are you building your hockey team out? The second thing I would do is I would look at Pedersen and Hughes and say, those are the two guys I'm not moving. And I wouldn't do a scorched earth rebuild because I I don't believe in that concept because I also don't think it's something that's even, number one, I don't think it's actually been implemented in the National Hockey League. And I don't think it's been successful in the National Hockey League. No team outside of the Pittsburgh Penguins, and even them, they had Marc-Andre Fleury, and they were going through insolvency before they got Sidney Crosby and everything going on with that organization. That was yeah. before the cap era. And since, every team we've seen, and we've seen a lot of teams make trades, right? The Leafs have rebuilt. But the Leafs held on to Kadri, Morgan Riley, James Van Reems, like Tyler Bozak, Jake Gardner. I mean, go through – Willie Nylander was there. Go through a list of players that they held on to. And even other teams that have retooled, rebuilt, that we reference, the New York Rangers, they kept Zibanejad, they kept Kreider, they kept Jacob Truba. So I believe you don't have to get rid of every single player to rebuild. So I think those are the guys I would yeah. hold on to and I would build around them. And the JT thing, I don't dislike JT as much as most people do in this market, it seems like, in terms of what he can provide. And I'd rather hold on to him for the time being. And I would trade Bo, and I would trade Luke Shen, Kuzmenko. And I think these are the things this organization is actually looking to do. So I hate to be, you know, saying, oh, these guys are doing the right thing, because I don't think that's a sense people are having. But looking at their situation and how they're actually viewing it as Pedersen being untouchable and maybe Hughes and everything else, you kind of open, open for it, depending on what happens. But then making two really tough decisions is kind of the way I would do it as well, because I don't think this team needs to get rid of everybody. But I would do everything I can to trade Garland and Besser. I don't know how easy that is. But I would do everything I can to get those two contracts off the books. In addition, everyone knows Myers and OEL, but easier said than done. We talked about the Myers thing. But that's what I would look to do. And I don't think the plan the organization has is really too dissimilar. And that's why, as much as I want to see them make trades, and I think they could have or should have done more to this point, I can understand where they're trying to go. I just hope they're able to execute it. Yeah, it'll be it'll be very interesting to see. And and Besser, I know I I, I didn't name him on purpose. I I feel like you know he's such a well liked guy, but it it almost does seem like he uh, he might need a change of scenery yeah. as well, just for the simple fact he he seems like he's lost his uh, his standing a little bit uh, in the organization. I wanted to get into you and your career, and I, I know we're we're running uh, quick on time here, but. Um, you, uh, I tried looking you up, man. You're a ghost <laughs> online. You know, usually I can I can craft these uh, very lengthy, um, you know, introductions. And and to be honest, nothing. There's nothing about Satshaw on the internet. Uh, so where did you get your start into sports media and then breaking into hockey? And yeah, where you are well, now? I mean, it's uh, it's one of those things where I've been in the industry for quite a long time. Uh, I started in broadcast school. Uh, I went to SFU and CAP and everything. I started back in 2006. And I started my first job in 2006 as well, doing promotions for Z95 back in the day on the radio station. 
Yeah. And then from that, when I finished school after a year, I got a job in Edson, Alberta, to do news and sports, just two hours east of uh, Edmonton. So, um, and they covered the Edmonton Oilers or we, we broadcast all the Edmonton Oilers games. So we had press passes and access. And the expectation was a sports reporter would go to, you know, a couple dozen uh, play at home games and do some reporting and, you know, and be a part of that. So I thought, hey, here's an opportunity for me straight out of school. Sure, it's living in, you know, small Edson, Alberta, you know, a very <laughs> transient little town in Alberta. But, hey, I get a chance to go cover the Edmonton Oilers and, uh uh, go, and it's only a two-hour drive from Edmonton. I jumped on it, did that for a few years, and it was a lot of fun. Um, and then I came back to Vancouver. I was working at Chorus, which is um, the Black Tower, we call it, where Z- uh, CKNW is at, um, Rock 101's at, and uh, Fox is at. And I was producing, essentially, doing some stuff there and filling in here and there on, on various you know, odds and ends. And I wasn't sure where my career was going because I came back in 2010. So I finished my degree at SFU while I was going doing work, uh, working at Chorus. Um, in in the pursuit of perhaps going to law school, I decided the, to take the LSAT and I got into a couple of schools. And then I got a call from Bro Jake, uh, who used to work with at Rock 101. And this was after three years of being there, so 2013. And he said, hey, do you want to produce my show uh, at 1040, TSN 1040 at the time? And I said, you know what? That sounds like a, uh, sounds like a great idea, right? Because... It's the type of job you want yeah. to get your foot in. And I was really trying to get into. It was so hard to get. And I thought for a long time that I had to get out of this industry because I want to do sports. I wanted to be a host. I wanted to be on radio, get on TV. And it was just really hard to get your foot into the door. And this is really before the time of social media blowing up and people doing the whole YouTube thing and doing their own thing on, on the same same platform. So I wasn't quite as involved in that aspect. I did a podcast um, which was available on MySpace at the time or whatever it was. But that was kind of the extent of it, right? Before it really took off to this. And I was a bit disillusioned, but I always said, if I do get that one chance in a sports radio station, whether it's Vancouver yeah. or elsewhere, I'll take it. And I took it. And uh, it just worked out that after a few years of producing that show at 1040, and I ended up being on air a lot with Dave Pratt too and debating with him a lot. And just from that, like it just kind of snowballed, you know, an opportunity opened and, I spent three years in at TSN 1040 and then got off got about almost four years. And I got hired by Sportsnet 650 in 2017 when the station started. And that's when I got my own radio show and was on the Canucks broadcast. So that all started back in 2017, summer of 2017. So yeah, it's a journey that began in 2006. And uh, I finally got the job I wanted, which was uh, my own show in 2017. So, so it took 11 years to get there, but uh, it, it, it's certainly been worth it. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, uh, one of the listeners sent a message just asking me to ask you, like, what advice would you give? This guy's a freelance journalist. Apparently, uh, he's been going to Canuck games with the odd press pass that's left over. Um, but he, he was kind of wondering, like, what advice would you have to someone looking into breaking into sports, whether it's writing or uh, in anything, broadcasting you know, like, and so on? If you believe in what you do and you love what you do, don't give up on what you're doing, you know? And just just do as much as you can. Nothing nothing replicates repetition. Nothing does. Like the only way you get better at something is yeah. doing it. You know, and don't wait for an opportunity to do it. And that's one thing, one regret I've probably had. And that's maybe not being, you know, obviously not seeing being a visionary, right? Seeing what you needed to do. But that's one thing I wish I would have done more of is like, 
why didn't I just do my own show on YouTube while I was trying to figure things out? You know, why wasn't I bloating it up and doing one or two hours every single day? Because had I done that for five or six years, you know how much farther ahead I would have been, how much better I would have been sounding, how much more professional my approach would have been? Because that's how you get better, by doing it, listening to yourself, watching yourself, and being critical of yourself and getting some people you trust to give you some pointers, right? So I think that's the number one thing is just do it. It doesn't matter if, if it's one person listening, two people reading what you're doing, you only get better by doing it and putting everything you have into it and be open to opportunities, you know, and the reality is when you're starting off, you have to do a lot of different things. But I find if you can get your foot in the door somewhere, uh, if you want to do the broadcast thing, whether it's sports night or elsewhere, even if it's, let's say it's a radio station, that's a music station. That's kind of how I got my foot in the door, but you make contacts, you get into the industry, you make some money at the very least having a job, whether it's part-time. And if you can do those things, have a job where you have a foot in the door one way or another, apologies, uh, one way or another, or if you know, for sure, and on this at the same time, just do your thing. And if you do that, hard, work hard enough, hey, maybe you create your own thing that's so successful that you don't need to be hired anywhere else. And we've seen those stories happen far more, especially with all, all the resources available to us now. So I'd say just, just put, put everything you have into yeah. it. Because if you do, and you're actually believing in what you can do, you can accomplish things. I mean, there isn't a real secret to doing this outside of that you know there are people that are that have god-given talent i was one of those people like i had to I had to work at everything i had if you listen to me 12 years ago <laughs> you probably say yeah this this guy's not going to make it anywhere right and it's just a testament to putting getting the work in getting some luck along the way but it takes time you know i think that's the reality everybody has to understand unless you really hit it big right away which can happen but it's it, it's just it's more difficult and it's more unlikely but you just have to be willing to put the work in and understand it takes a long time. But nowadays, just do more stuff, you know, and the more stuff you can do and the more disciplines you can learn, like if you're right, do a podcast. If you do a podcast, do some video stuff as well. It's, it's about doing all three of those things, you know, and just work on that stuff and don't be afraid of social media. Like I'm trying TikTok, for instance, learn TikTok. Like that's the future. Like I'm telling yeah. you, like, the future is TikTok. I have no idea what I'm doing. My girlfriend does half the stuff for me on social media because I'm so bad with it. Yeah. But those are the things, right? And it's, that's where you have to try to be ahead of. And that would be my advice. Like always go after those challenges and, and try to try to look ahead on the trends. Cause if you can get ahead of the trends then you can be ahead of the industry, right? Cause the industry is always lagging behind the trends, you know, and it's the people outside of the yeah. industry that are, always pushing the boundaries and able to take that step. So pay more attention to what's happening there and learn from that as opposed to where the industry is at. Cause the industry is always behind. It takes time for form to change to come in and, and things to process through. So that would be the biggest thing. Don't try to do the job that people are doing today. Try to do the job people want tomorrow. Yeah. 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 That's a great point. And that actually kind of leads me into one of my last questions for you. And, um, cause you, you know, you got the podcast, the, the, the six fifty podcast, uh, you know, Dan Riccio, uh, joins you as well on that. Um, by the way, Dan Riccio, I mean, has your opinion of him <laughs> decreased when he, uh, admitted to, uh, eating leftover sushi? Cause I mean, if I had a friend tell me that, I don't know that it's I'd be friends with him anymore. Right. So. That's, it's, it's poor judgment. I question his judgment. <laughs> so it depends. It depends. <laughs> <laughs> but uh but you mentioned the the trends and and uh i wanted to ask you where you think the future of sports media is headed in the next two to five years because james duffy i had him i had him on at one point and he he mentioned to me that no matter what sports requires like like mm -hmm. on the spot yeah. 
interaction, right? It's not like a television show that you can just record and watch later. It's like, you know, a sports analyst like yourself, you're always going to have a job because there's always, always going to be games on, things are going to happen. But at the same time, we've seen a push for more podcasts. We've seen, and, and those are tending to yeah. be a little more free flowing. You have unlimited time, whereas if you're on radio, you've got, uh, you know, certain time slots. Um, do you have any any ideas where the next two to five years are going to uh, lead uh, your career? My career, I, I really have no idea. We'll, we'll see. And I don't mean that in a dismissive way, but just because things change so quickly in our industry and um, yeah. it's just such a different animal that it's sometimes you think you have a grasp and the complete opposite happens. Um, like, for instance, uh, you know, there were a lot of discussions about the radio rights deals for Sports on 650 and the Canucks and how this was the final, that the last year was the final year and how they're working on a contract. There were all these rumors, of course, and all these reportless reporting on what was going on with the rights deal. And us, you know, inside didn't really know much of what was going on because these things happen at such a high executive level. But the thought was, okay, well, maybe they sign a deal for one year, two years, and then they sign a 10-year extension. And it's like, oh, so... So we're talking about a 10-year radio yeah. deal and a TV deal. And that kind of changes the landscape about what things could look like. So, so I don't know, but I am very excited by that because because of the dedication and the commitment that sports has made to being in Vancouver and having the Canucks on radio and on TV. So I think to James's point, there's always a demand for live radio and live TV and live events. You can't replicate that. What's changing beyond that is the medium in which you provide that live content. Right. And right now, most of it's happening just on TV and on radio still and streaming through the services sports that has their app or their website. I mentioned TikTok. That's one aspect. You see Twitter spaces, even people do it live. But it, it's it's trying to find the next big medium or be part of the mediums outside the broadcast industry where you're you're gaining a foothold in that, with that live audience. Because if the live audience wants to see your product yeah. or see you, then you're competing with everybody else. You know, And that's ultimately where you want to be at. So I do think the future, like James mentioned, it's, it's still live radio, but what medium are we using to provide that content? And I think podcasting, as much as I love podcasting, it is already becoming a bit it's becoming a bit it's coming a bit old because by the time you get a podcast up, it's not immediate yeah. enough still. You know, like it's it still takes a yeah. bit of time to get there. You can do emergency ones, you get there quickly, but it doesn't provide the same live audience sense that TikTok can do even. Like when you put a TikTok up right away and the reaction you get with to do a live on TikTok, do live on Twitter spaces, do live on Instagram. Yeah. And maybe there's something else that's going to be happening that's going to be the next medium for that live interaction with sports. For now, it's mostly on Twitter, right? But that's where I think the future is yeah. kind of going to. There'll be other mediums that are are able to provide that type of live analysis and reaction that competes with what, what you watch and go to traditionally for that. 